Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today, we look at Mexico. Until recently, President Enrique Peña Nieto was getting a great press with the Mexican economy going well and important reforms pushed through. Now he seems to be in serious political trouble, but why? Joining me to discuss the situation are John Paul Rathbone, our Latin America editor, who's here in the studio in London, and on the line from Mexico City, our correspondent, Jude Weber. John Paul, first, if you could just give us a sense of what are the issues that are causing trouble for Mexico and for the presidency at the moment? I think there are three main issues. The first is that Peña Nieto has won plaudits abroad and somewhat at home and deservedly for pushing through a whole bunch of reforms. But Mexicans haven't felt the benefits or the fruits of those reforms at the street level. So they wonder about the gap between his adulation abroad mostly and why they're not feeling anything better at home. So there's a gap between reality and rhetoric. And then where Mexicans feel that, or where it can be felt, is one in the economy, which hasn't picked up, growth remains elusive, although it may be coming. The second is crime and security, which has been a long-running issue and was one that Peña Nieto sort of de-emphasized in his narrative, but has never gone away. And this has crystallized, in fact, exploded in the disappearance last month of 43 students. And the third is a sense that Mr. Peña Nieto's party, the PRI, has come back and brought back with it all of the effectiveness it always had, but also the corruption. So Mexicans feel caught between a rock and a hard place, and they wonder why there's so much adulation about Peña Nieto, and they're not feeling any of it, and hence this kind of tense moment, and the government has sort of shrunk into a siege mentality. Let's go through some of those issues one by one. I mean, Jude, we talked about crime, and as John Paul said, that's been an issue for many years. I remember some while back, there were more civilian deaths in Mexico than in Afghanistan. It was pretty extraordinary. And yet this one issue, the killing of the students, has really crystallised matters. Can you tell us a bit about what happened there and also why it's become so hot now? Well, I think the reason why it's become so hot now is because in the past, the big massacres and big atrocities that caught public attention were often perpetrated by drug cartels. And in this case, the difference is all the evidence points to this having been carried out by a cartel, but a cartel which received from the local police this group of 43 students, and that on the orders of the local mayor. What actually happened in Iguala, as far as we know, this is the government's version of events, and this is based on confessions, is that on the evening of the 26th of September, these students left their school and they went to Iguala, which is a couple of hours away, and they commandeered some buses. And part of their idea was to go to Mexico City for a big rally against a massacre that happened in 1968. And some of them also wanted to go into Iguala because the First Lady of Iguala, who's the head of a, a sort of a social program, a government social program there, she was making a speech about her year's activities. And they wanted to basically gatecrash that and cause trouble, as they had done last year. 
the state security forces, under the orders of the mayor, wanted to stop that. There were reports that the instruction was to teach them a lesson uh, or to deal with them. And what the government's saying, based on confessions, is that after incidents earlier in on the evening of the 26th, when a bus was shot, uh, six people were, were killed, the security forces rounded up the 43 students and took them and took them to a place where they handed them over to uh, the local guerrilla group, local drug cartel. And this drug cartel, incidentally, is um, believed to move the, the vast majority of marijuana and heroin into, into Chicago. And the drug cartel number two said to the number one in a text message that they were under attack from a rival cartel. And the head of the cartel in question said, all right, finish them off. And so that's what they did. They took them apparently to a a rubbish dump, killed them, set fire to them on a a funeral pyre that burned for about 14 or 15 hours, and then shoved them in rubbish bags and dumped them in the river. The thing is that um, obviously the evidence that they found up until now is very difficult to analyse. They're fragments of bone, bits of clothing, bits of teeth and things like this. And the parents and the families of of the students aren't accepting there's no confidence in the government and they're not accepting that this is really what happened and until they have scientific proof that the students are dead they don't want to believe it john paul a horrific story is there any hope that it might actually galvanize mexico into dealing with these levels of violent crime or is it uh, too pious to hope that and probably too difficult well one thing that would argue against it being generalized is Guerrero is a very particular state. I mean, the, the, the name of the state means uh, warrior. And it's a traditional badlands with long histories of uh, insurrection and rebellion. And it's the source of over 90% of the heroin bearing poppies cultivated in Mexico. The one reason for thinking that this could be a moment that galvanizes the whole nation, it's a kind of wake up moment for Mexico. In the same way that Colombia had a a similar kind of moment in the 90s when everyone suddenly realized this is an untenable situation and we have to do something to change it. And just yesterday, the National Secretary of Defense, Salvador Cienfuegos, General Salvador Cienfuegos, said this is a make-or-break moment for Mexico. And it's as if uh, Mexicans are saying we've had enough, enough of this impunity. Uh, Mr. Peña your government has talked about modernizing. You've done lots to try and modernize the economy. What about law and order and security and impunity? These are the things that really affect us day to day. And Jude, I mean, how much does it actually cast a shadow now on the rest of Peña Nieto's achievements? I mean, John Paul suggested that there's always been a gap between the admiration he's been getting overseas in places like London and Davos and what Mexicans actually see on the ground. Well, it has because up until now, I mean, the reforms have passed Congress and they're being implemented, but there's nothing to show for them yet in terms of lower electricity prices or lower petrol prices or, you know, more jobs or, you know, it's still at the stage where what people are hearing is promises and they're not seeing any results. And and I think I think the handling of this just feeds the, the of the whole Iguala issue, just feeds people's um, concern that perhaps they're just being, you know, sold a pup by the, by the government. What's happened in the last couple of days to increase this feeling Our reports, the the president has an 86 million peso house, that's nearly $7 million, uh, that he hasn't ever declared and that was built by a contractor that won some lucrative contracts when he was governor of the state of Mexico. And so people are concerned that, you know, as John Paul was saying earlier, this is, um, you know, this is the old corrupt pre coming back with with its old ways. They were sort of led to believe that this was a new pre that was coming in, a new government with new ways, new modernizing ways, 
the reforms passed, even though there was a lot of opposition to them, particularly the energy reform, because people thought that this was basically a covert privatisation of what they'd been brought up to believe was their crown jewel, you know, oil. And now they find, you know, the president's living in this mansion that we're not quite sure how he paid for or the circumstances in which it came to be built. And it, it doesn't seem to be able to handle, you know, this incident in, in Iguala. There are protests that are spinning. I mean, fringe factions in all of these protests are sort of causing trouble, setting fire to the door of the of the Palacio Nacional, which is the seat of government in Mexico City over the weekend, torching the pre-party office in the, in the capital of the state of Guerrero. And, you know, in, in past weeks... Similar incidents in uh, the town hall in Iguala as well. So, you know, you've got these protests which are slightly violent um, at times. You know, you've got just basically a lot more distrust. And at the same time, you've got the economy that's not really picking up, probably isn't going to pick up for a long time yet. So, you know, people are, are feeling tax increases. They're not feeling, you know, increase of jobs. So there's no feel good factor. So, John Paul, do you think this means that all the hopes about the new president were hyped? I can't help but remember a previous Mexican reformer, President Salinas, who was hailed at the time similarly overseas, and then eventually it all ended very badly, and people concluded that maybe corruption was just endemic in Mexico. Are we in danger of drawing the same conclusion this time around? Well, one thing that has changed is that time has passed since then. So affairs of state, corrupt affairs of state that might have been possible then are much harder now. For example, the scandal over the house of the president's wife, that's been carried on social media and has become a big issue and it's forced the president to take certain actions that he might not have had to in the past. Let's just grant him the fact that he may or may not have wanted to, but he couldn't carry on with the way things were. When we didn't have globalised media, perhaps it would have just continued in the old pre. So there are some things that have changed, even if the pre hasn't. What I think has happened is there are a lot of hairs running in Mexico at the moment. You've got oil liberalisation, you've got telecoms liberalisation, you've got this ongoing security problem. And the state and the government, Peñonetta's government, to a greater or lesser degree, to a greater or lesser capability and ability, is trying to address them all at the same time. And so you've got a liberalising economy in the middle of a low-grade intensity war in some places. So there's going to be an awful lot of upsets along the way. But if you look perhaps 20 years into the future, the Mexican energy industry will be profoundly different in the same way that the Mexican economy is 20 years on from NAFTA is also profoundly different. But it's not a straight line. There's going to be bumps. There are going to be a few more massacres. There's bound to be another border incident, an American citizen shot. So it's not going to be smooth running at all. Just a final question then. Locate for us and for the listeners where we should think of as Mexico in kind of in the international firmament. I mean, is it a very promising emerging market or has it in some ways kind of now detached itself from the rest of Latin America and become part of a North American economic region? Mexico definitely strategically sees itself as part of the North American market. And the idea of a kind of North American zone, which includes sort of technology from the United States, labor and energy in Mexico, and natural resources from Canada is an immensely sort of peeling, almost sort of Orwellian type sort of trade block. Investors really want to believe in Mexico in the same way they want to believe in the reformists of, of India and Indonesia and Japan. And we'll see. Okay, we will see indeed. Thank you very much indeed uh, here in London, John Paul Rathbone, and thanks also to Jude Weber in Mexico City. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.